You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast Minicamp Week Edition. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins here with me as well. We're giving Mike Chappell the week off as he is slamming together story after story online. You can read him fox59.com, cbs4indy.com from Colts Minicamp. And uh, Joe, as we tape this podcast right now, minicamp has just wrapped up. So those three days of mandatory attendance, mandatory practice are all done. A couple of players have excused abstinences, but for the most part, everyone's out there, everyone's participating. And now there's this six-week gap between the offseason and training camp to get ready for the regular season. So this is kind of the ending of, uh, of the offseason program, a program that has really not been very... Uh, prominent at all in the last two years. And Frank Wright kind of touched on that uh, today when he spoke to us wrapping things up saying, you know, uh, it's hard to imagine doing an NFL season without what we have done over these last couple weeks and minicamp in particular. There's so many details. There's so many small things to touch on here and there to get everyone on the same page. And that's that's what separates great NFL teams from good NFL teams. If everyone's on the same page with all the small details, then the team is that much better. Everyone out there in every team is an elite athlete. They're in the top 1% of 1% and uh, of of football players in the world. And, uh, and now... Uh, you, what we could see is we could see better football this year. I'm optimistic we will because all teams, all 32 across the league, are not that football the last two years have been bad by any stretch, but all 32 teams should have a better idea of what's going on because of this expanded offseason that we have had. And especially the Colts, a team who three straight years are bringing in a new quarterback. That's a big deal, a position where chemistry and timing are so important with your receivers that I think it will make a significant difference um, in Matt Ryan being able to connect with his receivers and get that passing game clicking early in the season. The Colts are a team who have gotten off to a very slow start. Um, last decade, basically. Yeah, re- really the last decade and definitely since Frank Wright arrived in Indianapolis. So I'm excited to see uh, it pay dividends. And now it's time for the players to basically stay in shape and not get arrested, as Frank Wright said. Jeez. I, I was talking with Chap at this when we were out of camp. Like I was like, that, that's the one thing you hope doesn't happen, you know, over these next six weeks. You hope you don't get that call at two in the morning or you don't wake up or see your player in the crawl on SportsCenter. Uh, you, you want people to stay quiet, to stay out of the news. And, and we, uh, we were talking about the one incident with the Colts from like five or six or seven years ago, the David Perry incident, when uh, he stole a, a golf cart, you know, down in Florida and crashed it and was... Had a few too many soda pops. Yeah, soda pops. Yeah, one too many of those down there. You, you, you don't want to have too many soda pops and, and drive a golf cart. So like that, that's, that's the worst possible thing that could happen right now. And then, you know, so, so that's what you say. Go home, have fun. Relax, unwind, come back in six weeks with your name out of the papers and ready to work. That's right. If we see any Colts news between now and then, we hope it's either a contract extension right. or something like Matt Ryan gets his receivers together. There you for, go. You know, something of that nature. And, and that is something that Ryan said that he plans to do, by the way, speaking with him today. He's saying that, uh, that he's something that he's always done throughout his career. He's had some get-togethers with receivers. He kind of made a joke about it, saying he likes to do it in small groups because he only has one arm. You know, you don't want to have all... I don't know, uh, 10 guys in the wide receiver room right now at your place or all six or seven tight ends. So he'll bring in, I don't know, four at a time maybe and work with them for a couple of days and then kind of 
cycle you know on out to get the next group in because you don't want to tire your arm out obviously in this time you're about to throw a whole heck of a lot in training camp in the nfl season and for the guys too it's better for for the players not to be in these long lines waiting to work with matt ryan and trying to get a little bit going you you have more of a small group uh, more individual even though it's not quite individual setting with him to really uh get even more on the same page than you have been able to over the last couple of weeks yeah just like being in the classroom the smaller the class the more individualized attention you can get and you can really get down to the nitty-gritty so i'm um, I'm excited to hear that, and I can't wait. I think it's going to be a great Colts season. We'll do a little bit more Colts camp discussion in a bit, but first we'll discuss the news around the NFL. The big news this week in the league is uh, centered around former Houston Texans quarterback, current Cleveland Brown, Deshaun Watson. Um, As two new women have uh, sued Watson within the last week or so, Um, The number of women uh, bringing lawsuits against him for uh, sexual misconduct and the like is now up to 24. Uh, The New York Times did an extensive investigative piece that that I read uh, front to back from uh, Jenny Vrentas, I think. And uh, and she like what what she uncovered is like these are things that they they, nothing plays well for Watson with the with the details uh, in, in this investigation and you, you kind of you, you put that alongside comments that Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden, has made over the past week or two, Joe, um, uh, on a sports radio station on this past Saturday. Uh, and it just doesn't it doesn't paint a flattering picture. I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to say the NFL is doing this or that or the other. But but I'm but, but what I can do now is just kind of deliver some information about what the NFL has to has to go through. And that's what we can do right now. But it, it's like I said, it's just not a it's not a pretty picture for Deshaun Watson, everything that's come out through the investigation and even what Rusty Harden had to say. No, it keeps getting worse by the week. It feels like for Deshaun. And, you know, there was a point in time where he said, is he going to get a few weeks? Is he going to be suspended? You know, he, he of course, denies all of these yes. allegations. Yes. Um, and so with the denial of allegations and, you know, no, like, conviction or anything like that, no video evidence or something like that kind of puts the NFL in a tough spot. But the more that keeps coming out, the pattern of behavior, I mean, I, I think that is, I can't remember the official terminology, but there's, you know, kind of a pattern of behavior, behavior un you know, fitting of an NFL player that the NFL can suspend people for. Um, It'll be interesting to see what exactly the NFL gives to Deshaun Watson. I saw around May 24th, something like that, a report that the NFL said they were nearing the end of their investigation into Watson. And now with these new details coming out, uh, that might extend it a little bit. I bet sometime in July before training camp begins, we're going to find out what exactly Watson is facing. Yeah, through through this entire process, uh, I, I know people can get confused about the legal system because it's it's obviously it's something that that can be complicated, to be honest. And there's a big difference between criminal proceedings and civil proceedings. Criminal proceedings, things have either been thrown out or not uh, not investigated or not, not have been investigated, but just not pursued further because there's not enough evidence for a criminal investigation, not to have charges brought against Deshaun Watson in all these cases so far. But there can still be civil uh, suits along the side that are lawsuits or one person against another that... Uh, Deshaun Watson might not have broken any laws technically in what he did, but could still be facing uh, uh, facing a lawsuit for that would leave him liable in some sense uh, for these accusations against him. So, and I know I'm not doing the best job in describing it either because it's it's not my area of 
of expertise. But um, it, it's but what I can say very simply and very clearly is even if there are not criminal charges, and you alluded to this, Joe, in your uh, NFL players, the, the code of conduct that's expected of them, even if no criminal charges are even brought against them, which it hasn't been for Deshaun Watson, you can still be suspended by the NFL for, for, um, for behavior that is uh, unbecoming or behavior that is not fit of an NFL player based on the, the code of conduct that the NFL holds its players to. And we've seen in the past, I don't believe there were charges or at least not convictions for Ray Rice or Kareem Hunt. Right. Um, but the difference in those cases is there was video evidence. Right. We saw it. It was out there. This is kind of, um, you know, 24 now women's word mm-hmm. against Watson and his lawyers. So um, it's kind of like, what side do you believe? Do you believe the 24 against the one? The NFL is going to have to make a decision. Let's get to Colts mandatory minicamp. And this week, 12 NFL teams across the league uh, held their mini camps, the Colts being one of them. Um, one of the major storylines that we have discussed over the past few weeks of OTAs, of course, includes Darius Leonard. And that continued through mini camp and really took a took a turn, Joe, uh, for mini camp as well. Um, Frank Reich said a back issue developed over the offseason for Darius Leonard, in addition to his ankle injury that he played through all of last year. And recovery uh, on the back will last into training camp, and the team believes he will be ready for the regular season. So this is a separate issue that he had a procedure on on Tuesday. Procedure. I talked with Stephen Holder at The Athletic again today, and he was saying, you know, if if anyone's putting a knife to my back, it's called a surgery. And I'm sure Chap would uh, agree with us if he was in here right now, but it, it is not a minor thing when somebody cuts you open and fixes something. And that's just what happened with Darius Leonard's back. I'm not going to guess on what it is because, honestly, I don't have information on what it is. It's a back problem that required surgery, and they hope that he will be ready for the regular season. So it's not anything that can be fixed completely in six weeks, you know, because there's going to be six weeks right now between this second and the beginning of training camp. The Colts have said it'll probably eat into training camp a little bit. So this is something that takes at least two months maybe three months to really work all the way through. So that's that's not a minor thing, Joe, that you go in and just say, oh, boom, 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 done, and you can be out there in a weekend, uh, minor running, uh, all that stuff, and, and be good to go in two weeks, and, and you're fine. That, that's not what this is. This is something that is requiring a little bit more uh, of an intensive uh, re- rehab, not super intensive as like someone like a Julian Blackman is obviously coming back from an Achilles that takes six to eight months to heal from, but is still no, no small drop in the bucket to be out for two or three months here with this back surgery. Yeah, I did see, you know, Darius Leonard is walking. Yes. Um, I see photos posted, by, I believe, by his wife of him walking on social media. So that's good to see. Um, but it is concerning that your star linebacker entering a new defense with, you know, new defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, I understand, um, you know, the linebackers next to him will, will be the same. The majority of the defensive line up front will be the same, but you still need to kind of, um, I mean, practice helps. We just talked about how important practice was through the mini camp, let alone training camp. So it's not what you like to see this time of year. Um, in terms of what is actually going on, Reich said that Leonard won't need a second surgery on the ankle. Um, and then... Very interesting information to come out on Twitter through Darius Leonard, but mostly Pat McAfee. It appeared that Leonard spoke with McAfee. Uh, McAfee on Tuesday, I believe, initially 
posted a video just expressing concern about their Islamic Like we are right surgery. now, saying, yeah, shoot, exactly. this is not the best thing ever, but... Oh, no, our star linebacker is having back surgery in June. Um, Leonard commented on that post saying... Um, it's great news, it's is what he said. great news, honestly, bro. Give me a call, and I'll fill you in on the info. It's the first time ever in the history of the NFL that it is great news a player is having back surgery in June, by the way. Continue, Joe. Yeah. Uh, the next day, McAfee, uh, you know, on Twitter, but really on his show, but they post right. clips of his show on Twitter, kind of explained or did his best to explain... Uh, what Leonard told him through that conversation. Um, he called it an ankle functioning issue, not an injury issue. Um, kind of explained that it was more of losing control of the foot, kind of like a dead foot. I think he used that terminology. Um, not as much a pain problem, which if that's what was going on, that makes Darius Leonard's season all the more impressive if he didn't even have full control of that foot. But anyway... Um, sounds like it was a lingering issue. They've been struggling to figure out what was the cause. Through tests, they finally discovered that it was a nerve in his back affecting his ankle, and the back surgery was to address the nerve that was causing problems in Darius Leonard's ankle. This is all Pat McAfee's explanation um, of what Darius Leonard told him. If this is the case, this, to me personally, makes me feel more encouraged about it because it goes, oh, the back surgery was to fix the the ankle, not a second issue to pop up. It's not an ankle and a back now. It's the back surgery was to fix the original issue, which was the ankle. So if they finally figured out what was, you know, causing issues with his ankle that was just, quote, still there, um, I think that is encouraging news. And hopefully within two to three months, Leonard can put that behind him. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts on all? Yeah, this? all that, all that's well and good, and, and I agree. If that, if this is exactly what what it is, if what Darius Leonard told Pat McAfee, which came out on his show, which you can see on Twitter right now, if that's all accurate, then then you should feel a little bit more encouraged, I think, than than uh, the opposite. If this isn't another separate issue altogether, but the problem with that is, we spoke with Frank Reich Thursday today, as we tape this podcast, right after the final day of minicamp. And he was asked specifically, hey, could you give us some more information about Darius? Because uh, he, he said now that the back is connected to the ankle. And, and so w- w- what can you tell us? And, and Frank was not going to link those two injuries together. Like he, he thought, from his perspective, they were separate issues. He did say he didn't know too much about it, to be perfectly honest, and to, to give Frank credit. He didn't say that he knows everything that's going on here. I'm sure he has a lot on his plate with finishing up mini camp. Yeah, exactly. Right. There, there's, there's a lot for him to do, and he'll probably get more information for the rest of this week, I'd imagine, before everybody goes their separate ways for the next six weeks. But nevertheless, it, there, there is a communication problem here with because uh, you would think that the head coach would know something about the status of this injury of his star defensive player, multi-time All-Pro. And he did say that the back issue developed during the offseason. Like, that is something that he said earlier in the week when he was describing the back surgery. So, so all this to say, there's, there's a breakdown of communication between the doctors and the team, or Darius and McAfee and Reich, 
Um, so this is not this is not simple. It's not cut and dry because we're getting a couple of different explanations of this. And Darius even tweeted this again earlier today on Thursday, saying these folks must don't be communicating with three laughing face emojis. So so he says it right there. There's a like I said, a breakdown in communication as to what exactly is going on with his ankle. Darius is clearly of the belief that the back surgery is going to fix his ankle or at least help his ankle. And if that's the case, like we said, Joe, you should feel I I would feel pretty good about that if it's surgery, but it's still surgery on the nervous system of the body. So you, you yeah. still don't feel great about it. It's not even like it seems it sounds more complicated to me than surgery on a bone to fix a break or something like that. I could be wrong about that, so I probably shouldn't even speculate. But nevertheless, it is surgery on a nervous system element to hope that the functioning part of your ankle gets better. And, you know, uh, in case anyone was wondering, I'm not a doctor. No, but, neither am I. <laughs> but, um, I guess we don't really even know if the surgery, if all that is the case, what Pat McAfee said, we don't even know if the surgery was successful at this point. It sounds like it's going to take time um, before we even know. So uh, it's encouraging what has come out through Pat McAfee's show because that's the most detail we have to go off of. Other than that, we're kind of left in the dark. Um, you never want your star players or any player with any significant role having surgery in June. But if it finally fixes the ankle, I'm all for it. I guess it's just a wait-and-see situation. Um, I guess I kind of don't understand why Darius doesn't just put something out there. Uh, if he's going to talk to Pat McAfee and have McAfee explain it on his show, why doesn't Darius just clear up the air and say, this is what happened to me? Yeah, I'd like to see him actually on McAfee's show. Like, even if he gives it to one person, I would love him to talk to me. Like, like, let's be direct. Come, yeah. come on, step in front I'm of everybody at Cannon Cab. Yeah, exactly. I'm close <laughs> to lose on podcast. We have a chair for you right here. Chap's not sitting in it. Uh, but but like, it, I would rather hear it straight from his mouth than also coming through McAfee and then out of McAfee's mouth. That's like, it's behind the scenes stuff, which is fine. I have nothing against that. Mind you like that, that just form of communication between a player and a member of the media, but I would much rather see it directly from the player in this case, just so there's no mistaking exactly what the player believes and exactly what the player has been told about what this injury is going to be. So, uh, so that this is something that's going to last into uh, training camp and maybe into the regular season. Um, there's no doubt that Darius was injured vir- virtually all of last year and had an all-pro year, Joe. What what he did, forcing, what was it, 14 takeaway-worthy plays, like mm-hmm. with uh, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, interceptions, it is a mammoth, mammoth number. And he had a, a tremendous year by any metric, even though he was injured through it. And so you say that, like, well, why aren't you worried then? Why are you worried then? Why are you worried about the ankle? He played through it last year. He can do it again. Like the problem there is things pile up and you can do it for one year. You don't want to do it for two years in a row, for sure. Especially for a young player in that sense, you could injure yourself further. You could limit the spectrum of your career. You could shorten the length of your career. So so that's all, like, am I worried that Darius Leonard will be ineffective on game one? No, I'm not worried about that. I think that he, if he recovers from this back issue and is healthy out there for game one, game two, game three, whenever his game one is exactly, he can be just as effective as he has always been. But what concerns me ultimately is that this is something that would shorten the length of his career and limit the effectiveness of him in the tail end of his career, whenever that would be. So that's kind of what's fo- what I'm focused on right now. You you turn like a 12, 13 year NFL career into a six, seven year NFL career. I share those concerns as well. And in addition to that, 
there's the mental health aspect of it. Darius Leonard is someone who is very outspoken about mental health. He has talked about his mental health um, and, and difficulties in the past, and this is something that's got to be very hard to go through. And like you said, it accumulates, it piles up. And if you keep having to go through these, not only physically, but mentally tough things, it can be difficult for you. Forget the player, but as a person and a human being that I want to be okay, you know, um, it's a difficult thing to go through. So I hope this clears things up for Darius Leonard. He can be healthy. He can feel good and come back to being the happy-go-lucky maniac that we know. Let's get to Kenny Moore in the secondary. Pro Bowler last year finally did participate in his first practice of the offseason. Was out there on the first day of minicamp on Tuesday, but tweaked something late in that practice on Tuesday and then did not work out Wednesday, did not work out Thursday either. Saw him out there both of those days, but was not practicing. Let me say, first of all, this just this just has the appearance of being shady, Joe. Like not 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 shady as in you're trying to sneak something past us, but shady like we know what's going on. Kenny went out there and tweaked something and then just didn't practice for the next two days. Kenny could practice these last two days. I am fairly certain of that. I, I'm not gonna say it definitely, but if this was something where he's leading up to a game week, I I just find it difficult that he would not have been out there practicing, working with the team, and trying to get ready for a game. You're in the offseason right now. You can take it easy. And I'm not saying Kenny's trying to pull one over on the Colts at all. I think the Colts are fine, too, with with him sitting out right now and not doing too much because he's one of your star players. You know what you're getting out of him. They want to see him more in training camp. But just the fact that there is the contract situation looming over this and he's not exactly holding out but staying out of the voluntary section that he's there all of a sudden for the for the volu- for the uh, for the mandatory work then all of a sudden he's gone uh, for the next two days it just it just has that aura over it there's like something smells a little bit fishy here but once again not saying Kenny Moore's trying to pull anything not say the Colts are trying to pull anything but what I am saying is I think that there is an agreement right now between these two say like okay Kenny we know that there's issues right now you're gonna stay out you will like get out there for the first day and then we're gonna work through them over the next month or two and we'll figure out what to do when the season comes around if the Colts are in fact gonna do anything at all yeah I'm not gonna make a statement on the legitimacy of his tweaked something but I would like to see a study on the injury rate of players seeking new contracts because it seems that a lack Mm -hmm. of money is a health risk for a lot of NFL players out there they they tweak something they just seem and it's something it, it's, Migraines, it's not, it's not specific pain, yeah tweak what tweak a tight hand you, you can't even say upper body or lower body here it's, it's, it's something. just something it's a something that's that's up with Kenny more so yeah and, and kenny was asked about this we, we spoke to kenny on wednesday of this week um and, and he again to his credit he was i think he was relatively forthcoming mm-hmm. uh, as much as he would want to be in in a situation like this like saying that he still wants to keep kind of business decisions to his agent and the team um, so he, he didn't get into that side of things about numbers and all that or years or anything to, to that extent. But, uh, and, and what was a little bit surprising to me in that time is he didn't really, he didn't really break down anything like, you know what? I've done this over my career. I've done that over my career. I've been this to, to whatever. So that's why I think I deserve, uh, what I'm asking for. Uh, when it comes down to it is between the team and my agent, we'll work through it. Like he never gave a statement like that. Um, it was more just, I, I don't want to talk about it too much. You guys know how much I care about this team and this community, and think, things will get worked out. And so, so, so there was never him kind of delivering his resume, which 
you can argue the merits of not doing that too. I think it's kind of just said stuff like you've seen me, you've yeah, seen me out there, exactly. Um, yeah. So he's not going to do the talking instead of himself. So it's maybe not a bad thing. He just didn't do it. Yeah, I cannot blame Kenny Moore for wanting more money. The NFL is a very short time span to make your money. Yes, he could I, knock on wood. He could tear his Achilles this year, and that would significantly impact the kind of contract he gets down the road. So I get trying to make your money now while you're coming off a Pro Bowl season. Like, mm-hmm. he has some leverage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also get he's got two years left, and it'd be mm-hmm. very difficult precedent for the Colts to set if they renegotiate his contract with two years left. I really hope we see Kenny Moore on the field in training camp and in this upcoming season. I'll say it again. It's a new defense, and I think it's – Definitely going to hurt you at least a little bit if you don't get practice time with your teammates in that new defense. Um, and Dave, you've kind of, you know, you've been out there. I think this is, in my opinion, I don't see this happening, but I've seen several people pose this question on Twitter. Could this be a come down to a trade, a trade of Kenny Moore if the Colts and Kenny Moore can't, you know, come to agreement on a contract? I have a tough time seeing that happening, but I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that is unlikely right now as well. I'm not saying it's a zero percent chance, but I I think it's pretty unlikely. I I think that the Colts want him; they value him. Um, But I, I also don't know how much they will truly value him beyond this contract. Like I think these next two years are really important for him. I really do, Um, based on for his future with the Colts, and uh, he'll get a job somewhere in the NFL, but. If he's if he's seeking a a massive contract, and he wants it here, I don't know. I don't know if he'll get it. I honestly don't. It it depends on it depends on um, on what we see. Like I said, over the next two years in the system that Gus Bradley has, and where exactly you want to invest your money, because we knew under Eberflus that that the the three technique, the will linebacker and the nickel corner were, were crucial because so much action was funneled that way through his defense. If it is significantly different under what Gus Bradley does, then like you still want to keep DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, I would say, over Kenny Moore because I think both of them do more for the defense uh, on, um, on a play-to-play level. Even though Kenny's been like he's had four interceptions each of the last two years. I'm not trying to decry he's what he's done. He's had, very, he's had a very big impact. But that impact, like I said, could decrease under a new system more so than I think Darius Leonard's impact would decrease or DeForest Buckner's impact would decrease. So these next two years, I think, are crucial for him to establish himself as something that is more than just a nickel cornerback. And that's something that he's, he told us on Wednesday. He said he doesn't like that, uh, that moniker. He doesn't like that slot or nickel uh, tag attached to his name. He says, I'm a cornerback. And, and while I agree with him, he's out there a lot, like Almost all the time. Um, but there's a difference between a nickel cornerback and someone who thrives on the outside and someone who goes around following a number one wide receiver or someone who uh, is a boundary cornerback. There, there are differences in technique. There are differences in skill sets. And that's why you go out and the Colts sign guys like a Stephon Gilmore and a branded face on so that they can be guys that are out there that have skill sets out there to uh, to play defense out on the boundaries and uh, and to keep Kenny Moore where where he is most special and that is at the nickel position. So uh, so like I said, I I really I don't I find it unlikely that any extension happens right now. Very unlikely. 
I think Chap's idea that he brought on the podcast the other week just about guaranteeing the last two years of his deal is is perhaps the most you're going to get in this sense because you're two years out right now. And this, like, I just can't imagine Chris Ballard would, would extend him right now at this point. Maybe next year, but there's so much to happen before then. You have to extend, have to extend Quentin Nelson right now. Um, there's there's too much there's too many things up in the air to to worry about extending Kenny Moore in my opinion right now that is my opinion um, maybe they have a higher uh, a high they place a higher value on what Kenny Moore does in this defense because we haven't seen it like we're not behind the scenes with Gus even though he'll tell us that Kenny Moore is going to be important and he has like he he'll come in and say every player is going to be important right now. Mm-hmm. I think what what we see on Sundays is going to be the the ultimate deciding factor for Kenny Moore over these like I said over these next two years. And if he comes out and he's gangbusters the next two years, then you probably have to resign him because he, he's been because he's been fantastic. He continues to be fantastic. That'd be great. I would love for Kenny to stay here. I love Kenny. He's great to talk to. He's very very personable. And I think he's a good player that is a difference maker on defense, but it's going to depend on exactly what he can do in this new system. The other thing I'll add that I think is a big factor in contract negotiations is he'll turn 27 in August. So in two years when his contract is up, you know, by the time he's playing a new season, he'll be 29 years old. Yep. Uh, nickel cornerback one year away from turning 30 is not going to get a massive contract. So in terms of age, this is I think that also has an impact on the timing of him wanting and demanding a new contract because right now he's in the prime of his career. He's 26, soon to turn 27, and he wants to get that deal done now before people start to say, oh, well, you're almost over the hill. Yeah. You're, you're almost 30, blah, blah, blah. Um, I I don't know how this resolves itself. I hope it does. I hope he sticks around for one more year and then gets an extension but as you mentioned, the Colts have a lot of people to sign. Quentin Nelson, Yannick Ngakwe. Next year, they can sign extensions for Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. Like Paris on, Campbell's up in there, too, if he does Paris Campbell's well. got one more year. Yep. Next summer, Matt Ryan will have more one more year. Like it, It's just on and on and on. So at a certain point, you can't bring back everybody, and you have to make tough decisions about who stays and who goes. Quentin Nelson is one who will probably be staying. Uh, it's just a matter of the number for him. And he spoke with the media on Wednesday saying he is not focused on his contract extension, saying he also finally feels healthy, feels great, strong, ready to go. He had back surgery, of course, last offseason, had the foot issue in his training camp, which was the same as Carson Wentz back then. They were boot buddies is what he called them, so <laughs> he, he called them back there in a, at Grand, uh, Grand Park. Missed three games last year with his ankle injury and with COVID uh, combined. Had somewhat of a down year for Quentin Nelson. The second team All-Pro nod is, uh, uh, is a pretty good down year, but it was nevertheless a down year uh, on that offensive line. So encouraging to see Quentin back and looking looking to be full strength at full health, but he has had nicks and knacks like every year, the past couple of years, he's had a bunch of work done, whether it's on his back a couple times, I think some lower leg or body stuff. I don't recall he exactly what it is. Yeah. He one. had a concussion. That one. I don't, I don't, I don't put too much. Um, not that it's not, like, it certainly impacted him at the time, but that's not something I don't think that lingers as much from year to year. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's what now I was getting at. Kind of like the one three things, or four, you start yeah, then, to get worried. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but if it's just one, I think you're okay. Um, so I, I think you, you certainly hope Quinton is back to 100, percent Joe, because we've seen what 100 percent Quinton can do, and he can 
change the tenor of games uh, for a team that we anticipate is going to be a heavy running football team once again. Yeah, Quentin and really the entire offensive line. Everyone was so banged up. I I think it's fair to say the entire line had a down year uh, last season. So hopefully a bounce back year, a year in which, I mean, they lost, you could call them three starters between Fisher, Reed, and um, Glowinski. So the offensive line is going to be very interesting because – the returning starters are players we feel great about. We know that Braden Smith, uh, Ryan Kelly, and Quentin Nelson are studs out there that you can rely on as long as they're healthy. And for the majority of their careers, they have been healthy players. You can rely on them to get their man blocked. Um, but having Quentin healthy, ready to go, uh, is, is a great thing to see. And I don't think he's focused on the contract because he knows it's going to get done. Chris Ballard has been very outspoken that this is a cult. He will remain a cult, and they'll figure out the contract. Um, Mike Chappell wrote a great article today about Quentin Nelson, his contract dealings. Um, uh, he spoke with the former agent, Joel Carey. Are you familiar? I'm not familiar with him. I, I wish I could remember the exact name. I should have written it down, but go read that story on Fox 59, CBS four. Um, basically the agent was explaining that he thinks the number for Quentin is 20, the highest paid guards in the NFL. Uh, the highest paid per year average is Brandon Sheriff, who mm-hmm. just signed a contract with the Jaguars, 16 and a half million. And Quentin Nelson is much better than him. So I think around $20 million a year. Um, he also said kind of a leverage point is Quentin Nelson is your should be pay, the highest paid non-quarterback on the team um, because I think we'd all agree he's the best player. It's just positional value that might bring his price tag down. Darius Leonard gets paid um, just shy. Yeah, it's like yeah. 19.7 or yeah. something like that. So give Quentin the $20 million a year. I think that's a pretty fair deal for the type of player Quentin Nelson is. Safeties, Julian Blackman, Kari Willis. Uh, news for both of them, but certainly on opposite ends of the spectrum. Blackman is participating in full speed seven on seven. He was out there today doing the walkthrough stuff. And it's it's funny. It's funny, but not funny. Um, like the play that he got hurt on, you know, uh, way back in the day uh, in, in October was the final play of practice. You know, they do kind of a, a last play kind of Hail Mary type uh, uh simulation and they did one right at the end of training camp too and like they everybody just runs back you know it's kind of a walkthrough so it's it's not full speed and everything you go back and then at the end of the end of the play today like julian is back there be acting a fool and and i say that kind of lovingly jokingly Mm -hmm. like he he like jumps up like full full jump like he's actually going for a ball which has not been thrown because it's just a walkthrough like pretending that he's going up and and intercepting the ball and then he gives a big first down sign the other way like i got the ball like he is completely he looks completely back which is i think tremendous news for julian and for colts fans and the defense he looks like he is back to his old self even though you're like julian what are you doing out there? You're still coming back from your Achilles. You don't need to jump up at the end of a simulated Hail Mary uh, out there in in your walkthrough. But at the same time, that's that's who he is. That's who he's always been. He's this happy guy. He's an, an intense guy that uh, that gives a lot and um, and and hopefully that we can he gets a lot this year because I think that if there's a player that could take a significant jump forward in his career this year it is Julian Blackman because he's going to be a guy who's out there a whole heck of a lot for Gus Bradley's defense and they're going to ask a lot I think out of him there on the back end yeah and I love to hear that story because that means he's gotten over the mental hurdle that it takes to right. recover from a significant yeah that's gone yeah 
There, mm-hmm. there, he cleared the hurdle easily. Uh, um, no, go from, ahead. Sorry. From what it sounds like. But, yeah, he'll play a very significant role in Gus Bradley's defense. Kind of that I, I assume he'll play the Earl Thomas um, role from the Seahawks days of Gus Bradley. And uh, he's an impactful player. On the other safety, Kari Willis was excused from all three practices for personal reasons. We never really got into any digging with that for Frank Reich. Too many other stories that are more Wish significant. Wish the best for him. We certainly do for whatever's going on with him uh, personally. And uh, we'll see him back here, hopefully, at training camp uh, at the end of July, early August. And we could ask him then what's going on. Maybe he'll, he'll tell us to go pound sand. Who knows? But nevertheless, it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll certainly be something that comes to, uh, comes to a head. Um, then rookie Nick Cross was uh, getting first team reps alongside uh, Julian Blackman in Willis's absence. Jonathan Taylor was also not out of practice. Well, he was there, but he was not practicing uh, for precautionary reasons, as in if we lose Jonathan Taylor, we are in a lot of trouble. So we're not going to let him practice. You stay on the sidelines. I don't yeah, think he needs fine. to practice. And really, it's not really a running time anyway. Like It's not really to establish your well, run game. tackling. No, so. there's no tackling. And, and like what you can do is much better on the in the passing game because you can do seven on seven. You can do a whole lot more there. That's a reason that we've seen Naheem Hines working so much with the receivers because there's very little, honestly, to do with the running backs at this point. Like you do a lot more of your work with the running backs in training camp and getting the run game set up then. Now it's really more about the passing game throughout the offseason, especially during mini camp. So uh, nevertheless, Jonathan Taylor not practicing. Yannick Ngakwe participated this week. He was not here for voluntary workouts, but speaking to him, he said, I think something to the extent of I was doing James Taylor type, or not James Taylor, James James Taylor, um, James Harrison uh, type workouts down in Florida. So uh, if it's anything like James yeah. Harrison, then then cool. That's fine. One of uh, the scariest players to ever play in the NFL. Exactly. That'd be great if he could have that type of an impact. And finally, Matt Ryan, plenty of reports coming out from practice this week, just singing his praises. And I will say from my perspective, he looks very good. He looks accurate. He throws with anticipation. But this is a time, once again, for the uh, for, for the passing game to get in sync. It is set up for the success of the passing game. So every NFL starting quarterback really should look good this type of year. For me, the only thing that could happen was was bad with the quarterback right now. If things were just completely out of whack, if there were too many balls thrown behind, over, or around receivers, and that has not happened. So there's no reason to sound any alarms with Matt Ryan. He seems to be getting on the same page as his receivers. He will continue to do so. Michael Pittman Jr. being the, the obviously the number one guy, he throws to him a lot because you do a lot of those with, um, uh, with, with your individual work, but of course during the seven-on-seven as well, finding him quite a bit. So that's, that's a, a connection that you hope to see plenty of times when the regular season comes around. Yeah, I think uh, I'm excited for Matt Ryan. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is going to go off this year. That'd be fantastic if indeed that would happen. And if he goes off, some Colts could reach some statistical milestones in this career. We'll kind of wrap up our focus today on the Colts Blue Zone podcast with this discussion over the next, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. So um, you can follow us always online at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter for news and notes throughout the week. I'm at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Mike Chappell is at mchappell51. And as we mentioned earlier, check out his work online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Matt Ryan this year needs 4,353 yards to move into fifth place all time in the NFL. He's currently eighth place with just a tick under 60,000 passing yards for his career. 
He needs 33 touchdown passes to reach 400 for his career, which is obviously a big milestone to reach that number. He is currently ninth in league history with 367 touchdowns. Ben Roethlisberger is eighth with 418, so still a ways to go to reach that. He will not reach eight this year unless he throws for 50 touchdowns, which I think we will both agree is highly unlikely. And Matt Ryan needs 199 completions to pass Roethlisberger for fifth most in NFL history. Out of all those numbers, 199 completions is very likely. Well, no, it's not. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree you, with you. You were shaking your head. I was like, wait, what? I, I think 199 is, is yeah, very if much. If he doesn't reach 90, 199 Then you're in a lot of trouble because hurt. somebody's hurt. Yeah, he exactly. got hurt. Yeah, yeah. okay. But uh, the other two numbers, the, uh, the 4,300 passing yards, the 33 touchdowns, they would be, I think, very good seasons. Very good Terrific numbers season. for Matt Ryan. If he, if he hits either one of those numbers... I think you feel pretty, pretty good about where the Colts are because they were really able to get get in sync between Matt Ryan and this young group of wide receivers. Now, we talked last week about these over-under numbers, what mm-hmm. we think are going to hit, and I would I took the under on, on a couple that were under these numbers. So yeah. if you ask me if he hits any of them, I say no, but I will add that it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility if th- if everything falls into place. And Michael Pittman, as you say, really does take that next step to be a dominant number one wide receiver. Yeah, I think the touchdowns is probably a little more likely than the yards. 33 TD passes to 4,300 yards, just because I think so many yards are going to be chewed up by Jonathan Taylor in the ground game. But, you know, it, it, he can be very efficient and throw a lot of touchdowns. But if I was a betting man... And sometimes I am. <laughs> On occasion. <laughs> I I would not uh, bet that he reaches either of those milestones this season. But certainly they're still out there for him to chase. Jonathan Taylor, he needs 1,667 rushing yards to pass Tom Matt for sixth place all time in Colts history. Needs 1,474 yards to pass Joseph Adai for seventh place all time in coach history. Needs 1,066 rush yards to pass... Um, uh, to pass into eighth place in in Colts history. So of these, well, the most likely is obviously the least. The lowest, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, like, that's funny. Like, poorly the question, worded question. Yeah, the, the, the question on this page that Joe has in front of me is which is the most likely? Well, obviously it's the lowest one that's the most likely. No, I, I, but I yes. see what you're saying. Out of all these three, um, I think he can top the fourteen hundred. I would say, you know, if it was ranked like, you know, you're yeah. betting and you get a higher payout for the higher right. yardage, I'd probably take the 1,400 because I think I said last week that I took the over on Jonathan Taylor, 1,500 rushing mm-hmm. yards. Yeah. Um, so I think by the end of the year, he passes Joe Adai for seventh in Colts history, which is pretty crazy for a player who, you know, by the end of the season, well, I've only played three years in the NFL. I get an 1,800 rushing yard, you know, season can really catapult you a little bit in the rankings but um pretty impressive numbers for Jonathan Taylor and I get it because running backs don't have long careers and um you know we're up to 17 game season now where you know back in the day they played about 12 games a year yeah but six all-time in Colts history is just 4,646 yards so Jonathan Taylor um will you know by the time he's done being a Colt will be very very high if not the top in many rushing st- categories for Indianapolis. In spite of the the great running backs that have been a Colt in the past, you, you make a good point that guys can come in and just take teams by storm and then work their way so far up that list so so very quickly. 
Like I, I grew up as a, as many viewers of the podcast listeners here will know on the East Coast, so following the NFC East, really being a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and like I'm reminded of guys like a. Uh, uh, a Brian Westbrook or LaShawn McCoy who came in and did just that, had a couple of really good first years of their career. And the one that sticks out to me is, is actually a, a rival is a, a former Washington Redskin, which would be Clinton Porters, who had like 1,500 yards or more in his first two or three seasons in the league and just shot up up record charts. You know, he's up there with like John Riggins all of a sudden. It was like, Clinton Portis, he's just been in the league for for a half a second, and already he's being mentioned among among those guys who who were legends of the game. And and what Jonathan Taylor has done in his first two years has certainly put him uh, put him at the doorstep of that discussion. If he can follow it up with one more year and jump all the way into the top six in Colts history, that would certainly be something truly special. And I think it just goes to show how difficult longevity is at the running back position. I mean, the Colts have had very good running backs throughout their history, but not a lot of them have, you know, played a ton of seasons for the Colts, Edron James being the one who really stuck around for a while. Jonathan Taylor is also ninth in Colts history with 29 rushing touchdowns. He can uh, jump up to third with 17. He can jump up to fourth with only 14. He can jump up to fifth with just 12. So out of all those, which one I are think, you taking? Yeah. Uh, Forget um, the which is most likely question. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe just trying to throw me a, a wrench here. I think 14. I, I, would, I would bet he gets to 14. Um, rushing touchdowns, this is. This is not combined touchdowns, rushing and receiving. Just rushing. Yeah. I still think that he can get to four, Excuse me, get to 14. And that's maybe a part of my, again, reasoning uh, that I, I go back to with passing touchdowns. And I took the under for Matt Ryan with 27. I still do think that the rushing game is what they're – what the focus is going to be on. I think they do do most of their damage or a lot of their damage with the running game. So I think 14 is very reasonable. If he hits 17, that's fantastic to get that high two years in a row. I think how many he had last he year? Had 18? Like 18. Yeah. So I, I would go 14 is, is the bet that I would take in the middle again with like increasing odds along here. So, so that's the one that I'm leaning toward Joe. I'll agree with you, but ju- just looking at kind of the worst case scenarios with these, he's going to be eighth, in Colts history in rushing yards and fifth in rushing touchdowns after just three seasons. Not too shabby. Michael Pittman Jr. entering his third NFL season needs 1,299 receiving yards to enter the top 20 in Colts history and 11 touchdown receptions to move into the top 20 in Colts history. I think the yards is more likely here. Agreed. Um, neither of them are out of the question for me. Um I think if if the tight ends don't develop like you hope ideally for and become kind of red zone threats, then he becomes or your de facto red zone threat. Pittman does being the big bodied guy to out jump or out muscle a defensive back. Uh, in the red zone for a touchdown so and he probably should be anyway he's better yeah, than the tight end yeah that's fine I, I just think the other guys can take you know one or two sure. or three away here or there so so that's like that would take you down from 11 to i don't know eight or something like that if, if you have a great season yeah. it's still still a very good season so i mean for, double digit touchdowns for receivers are extremely difficult yes and, and i would not be surprised to see him at either of those marks and if i had to pick one of the two i'd probably pick the yards i think 1300 is not not too crazy yeah i think he could get the yards especially yeah. considering 17 game season yeah. and you know if i was going to project his yards i'd put it at 1200 something anyway mm-hmm. so i think 1300 yeah. yards um is is very possible kenny moore has 14 career interceptions he needs one more to tie nick harper for 20th in colts history 
There are three players tied uh, with 16 interceptions, which would be two for Kenny this year. There are three players tied with 19, which would be five for him this year, which would be a career high. And uh, Darius Leonard also has 11 interceptions in, in his career. If, uh, if Kenny jumps all the way up to, to 19 career interceptions, getting five this year, I think I would be very surprised by that. That'd put him 14th all-time in Colts history. Right. So I, I think that there's still a little bit of time before we get there. I, I think 16 is, is very likely. I think two is, is very, very reasonable, uh, having two or three interceptions this year. Which would put him at 17th. Right. So, so he's, uh, he's right there uh, jumping up uh, to like 15th or 16th, right around that, that range. Uh, and Darius, three interceptions for Darius is certainly possible too, since he's had a couple inter- a couple seasons like that. Um, hopefully, that I think uh, his career high is five interceptions. Yeah. So as long as that back foot is uh, or the foot back is uh, <laughs> is all is all healed by by then, it'll be good. DeForest Buckner needs twelve sacks to enter top ten in Colts history, and uh, this is also I think. It, you don't get quite the history with sacks because it didn't become an official stat until much later. True. Uh, so you don't get the guys way back in you know the '60s, the '70s, and the early '80s. Um, but um, <clears throat> excuse me. So he needs 12 to enter top 10. Um, Raheem Brock and Tony Bennett uh, both have 28 and a half sacks, and Johnny Cooks is eighth with 29. And uh, Darius Leonard's only one and a half sacks, less than Buckner at 15. Buckner has a 16 and a half in his career. So. 12 sacks, that, that's a mammoth number, for, especially for an interior defensive guy. Those are, those are all pro numbers. And DeForest Buckner has had a couple uh, circling around nine. I don't know if he's hit 10 in his career, Joe. Um, he might I have. I think he hit 12 one year okay. with the 49ers. Okay. So let me double check that yeah. really quick. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. In 2018, he had 12. Okay, there you go. So he does have that type of ability in him for sure. And that, that's never a doubt that he had that ability in him. It, it's a matter of staying healthy and, again, being effective in the scheme that's around you. Yeah, in the interior, it's, it's a little easier for teams to double-team you. I, I'd be surprised if he got to 12, partially just because there's more competition for sacks now with Yannick and Quiddy Pay yeah. expected to take a leap in year two. And Dio, and Dio. my guy, Dio's my guy. No, I I, I've taken too. Dio under my wing. <laughs> I, absolutely. I love Dio as well. And he, Dio might get some time playing inside next to Buckner, which, you know, if, if he takes that step as well, could be scary for opposing offensive, really scary for the quarterback. But, yeah. um, I kind of included Leonard in these because he's within striking range as well. Um, he's not within striking range in terms of tackle. Jeff Harad has over 1,000. A zillion, as you say, yeah. Uh, Leonard is guy. over 500. So if Leonard stays healthy over his career, he'll be able to challenge mm-hmm. that. Um, but uh, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, and Kenny Moore can keep moving up in the all-time Colts uh, record book. I really am interested to watch the defense when training camp comes around, Joe, in like six weeks. Because, like, like we've said in this podcast, the 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 off season and the mini camp are really focused on the passing game and getting everybody there together, getting to work on developing your scheme and your route trees and your combinations and getting that that part of of your game plan uh, kind of off and running. Now, when, when training camp starts up, sometimes the defense is a little behind because of that, and that's understandable, but I, I'm really eager to see this defense and how it looks the same or how it looks different from, uh, from the past under Matt Eberflus, how players still or do not uh, swarm as much, because that was the thing under Eberflus was, was swarming to the ball, 
and all effort and loafs are the worst thing in the world, basically. Um, I, I think that there's still a culture of that on the team, not saying that they're all of a sudden going to pack it in like, oh, who cares? That's uh, on the other Eberflus side of the field. Yeah, gone exactly. He's gone. We don't have to work anymore. But but I'm, I'm, really, I'm really interested to see out at Grand Park how the defense will perform and what they will look like because that, that is going to be a key to this Colts season, obviously, completely obviously. Because if you expect to be a team that is really primarily a running team, which the Colts still do, as much as, we, built. as much as we talk about Matt Ryan and the development of the young receivers, you still this is still te- a team that is built to beat you on the ground, mainly. So you don't want to get into too many shootouts. Then, therefore, you want your defense to be a top 10 or even a top 5 unit in the NFL. And I think that they brought in guys like Yannick Ngakwe, like Stephon Gilmore, to further... Um, give credence to that fact that you want to focus a lot on defense if you can do that to supplement your running game. So like, how do these new guys fit? How do they mix into this new system and what exactly is going to be expected of them on a play to play basis? That is certainly something that I will be looking forward to for this camp, seeing a little bit more of what the defense can do under Bradley. I can't wait to see, um, kind of, I think they have the potential there to be a top five unit. I really do. Um, I can't wait to see how it gets together. I can't wait to see how it's different under Bradley. I'm also looking forward to some of the competitions, and we'll get into that in future shows. Yeah. we still got a little bit to go, but there will be competitions along the O-line. Obviously, wide receiver, we've talk, uh, talked about ad nauseum, but it's going to be a interesting minicamp, hopefully less drama than last year's uh, training camp. From start to finish <laughs> last year. It was just every week the sky was falling. Um, the People Colts. even forget that Frank Reich had COVID at the start. Like, yeah. we were talking to Marcus Brady for the head coaching interviews that we're supposed to have for the first, like, 10 days of camp. That's completely brushed to the wayside because of all the other issues that happened during that camp. And that'll be something that, you know, we haven't really talked about too much, but will be far less of an issue. I... Don't have the exact new regulations in front of me, but my understanding is that the NFL will focus far less on COVID this upcoming season, um, as much of the country has. Yep. Um, so that will be something that hopefully will not uh, drag the Colts down as much as it did last year. That is certainly the plan with what the NFL has said over the last couple of weeks, is they do not want it to really be a hindrance right now. And that's always subject to change. But as we have learned over the last two years, everything is subject to change. Uh, but right now, let, let's. Uh, I, I'm hoping that that all of that is in the past. I really am because I, I think no matter what you felt of it, you're 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 eager to move on. If uh, and and hopefully that the cir- the circumstances are such that we can. So um, we will still move on from week to week here uh, throughout the uh, the next couple of weeks and uh, deliver you some uh, some blue zone content coming. So don't just. Uh, don't just set down your podcast listening device and uh, end your subscription because uh, the Colts are not uh, in action anymore. Yeah. We even, got, even if you do, just keep downloading. Yeah, darn right. yeah seriously. And then, but, but they'll come over the next couple of weeks before training camp gets, uh, gets raring at the end of July. Uh, I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Rotor Street Joe. Mike Chappell is at M Chappell 51. And we together are the Colts Blue Zone at Colts Blue Zone. Give us a follow there for news and notes throughout the week. We appreciate you listening throughout the offseason OTAs and this week's minicamp. A dead period is coming before training camp, like I said, at the end of July. So we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 